Welcome to Copper State Adventures. My name is Greg. Today, we will be talking about the Leave No Trace Principles. This is my first podcast and only third episode in that podcast. Thank you for joining me again. If you haven't already, please take a moment to listen to my first podcast on the 10 essentials of hiking and second episode on hiking etiquette. I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and expect to hear from me weekly every Thursday. As a reminder, this podcast will include topics about hiking and backpacking. I live in the Phoenix, Arizona area, and am native to Arizona, so most of my anecdotes will be based on my experiences from Arizona. But there are occasional trips in the past and upcoming that are out of state that we will discuss. The plan for this podcast is to talk about a variety of topics and to begin a community of hiking and backpacking around the world. All right, enough of the information. On to the Leave No Trace Principles. Along the same lines of the 10 essentials and hiking etiquette, our first and second episode, is leave no trace. You will hear this phrase as often as the previous phrases while you begin and continue your adventures outdoors. Leave no trace is essentially the opportunity to ensure our ability to enjoy and continue to appreciate the outdoors for ourselves and for others. With the enormous number of people enjoying the great outdoors today, We can make an impact on the land, whether directly or indirectly. Outdoor areas can be impacted by people littering, invasive species, trail erosion, polluted water, and much more. Most people don't intend to cause negative outcomes towards our outdoor environment. We may have a limited understanding of ways to preserve it or simply overlook opportunities to implement our desire to leave no trace of our presence in nature. Although this is the case... With some effort, we can prevent any type of negative consequences that are unintended towards nature. There are seven principles of leave no trace. Plan ahead and prepare. Travel and camp on durable surfaces. Dispose of waste properly. Leave what you find. Minimize campfire impacts. Be careful with fire. Respect wildlife. And lastly, be considerate of other visitors. To break these down further, number one plan ahead, and prepare. When you don't spend adequate time preparing for your hike, you are more likely to run into problems. If you don't do good research, it can lead to situations where you find yourself in situations that cause you to become fatigued or anxious, and that may end up resulting in making poor choices with negative consequences. If you don't plan well enough, it may lead to you and your hiking group being miserable during your outing. This is never fun. Planning ahead includes doing research about your destination and packing appropriately. It is important to plan your trip effectively because it helps ensure the safety of your group and yourself. It prepares you to leave no trace and minimize resource damages. It contributes to accomplishing trip goals safely and enjoyably. It also increases self-confidence and opportunities for learning more about nature. It's important that you know the regulations and special concerns for the area that you'll visit. Preparing for extreme weather, hazards, and emergencies. Scheduling your trip to avoid times of high use and popular areas. Visit in small groups when possible. Consider splitting larger groups into smaller groups when possible. Repackaging your food to minimize waste. Using a map or a compass to eliminate the use of marking paint, rock cairns, or flagging. Even those are technically not the leave-no-trace principles. Some additional things that you want to consider when planning a trip. 
Identify and record the goals, your expectations of your trip. Identify the skill and ability of trip participants. You know yourself, so if it's just one person, you're good to go. But keeping in mind other people. Gain knowledge of the area that you plan to visit from land managers, maps, and literature, websites, anything like that. Know where you're going. Choose equipment and clothing for comfort, safety, and leave no trace qualities. You want to make sure that what you pack is comfortable and is not going to further damage the area that you're going to. Plan your trip activities to match your goals, skills, and abilities. You don't want to plan a long-distance hike for people that are in a group of beginners. Evaluate your trip upon return. Note changes that you will make next time. You've got to continue to learn from any type of situation that you're in, even if it's for yourself. A self-reflection, anything like that, is certainly helpful. Lastly, some other things that you want to consider. The weather. Preparing for a rainstorm when it's not going to rain is obviously not the ideal thing to do. Preparing for the terrain. If it's going to be rocky and slick, pack some gloves. Knowing some regulations or restrictions. If the forest is closed, which is currently happening in some of the areas in Arizona, make sure that you don't go to those areas. Private land boundaries. You don't want to end up on private property and be considered trespassing. You want to know the average hiking speed of group and anticipated food consumption. You don't want to underpack things and you don't want to set a lofty goal like 10 miles in a day if the people that are in your group aren't really up for that type of distance. In some areas, you need to know your group size to make sure that it doesn't exceed any type of limit. Some very sensitive areas may have a limit of six people, and if you find out when you get there that your group has eight, the permit may no longer be valid, and that would really put a damper on your trip. Number two, travel and camp on durable surfaces. When you're hiking, exploring, and setting up your campsite, be sure to seek out resilient types of terrain. Ideal surfaces for your activities include established trails and campsites, rock, gravel, dry grasses, or snow. These are far more durable than muddy areas. One of your goals of travel in the outdoors should be to move through natural areas while avoiding damage to the land and to waterways. This is leave no trace. Travel damage occurs when surface vegetation or communities of organisms are trampled beyond recovery. The resulting barren area leads to soil erosion and the development of undesirable trails. Land management agencies such as the Forest Service, state parks, national parks, etc. construct trails to provide routes that concentrate foot traffic from visitors. These trails are themselves an impact on the land. However, they are a necessary response to the fact that people travel through natural areas. These trails are intended to focus the traveled area to a limited size as opposed to potentially larger damaged areas that are more sporadic. Concentrating travel on trails reduces the chances that multiple routes will develop and damage the landscape. It is better to have one well-designed route than many poorly chosen paths. Use trails whenever possible. The trails also serve to encourage travelers to stay within the width of the trail and not to take shortcuts and cut switchbacks. Hikers should provide space for other hikers if taking breaks along the trail, which we talked about last week in hiking etiquette. Selecting an appropriate leave-no-trace campsite is, perhaps, the most important aspect of low-impact backcountry use. It requires the greatest degree of judgment and information and experience. 
Your decision about where to camp should be based on information about the fragility of vegetation and soil, the likelihood of wildlife disturbance, an assessment of previous impacts, and your party's potential to cause or avoid impact. So making sure that you're taking into consideration a number of variables is going to be essential to choosing the appropriate campsite based on leave no trace principles. If you're camping in a popular area, some things to consider. You want to concentrate use on existing trails and campsites. You don't want to be picking new stuff. That's going to be a common theme throughout all of this. You also want to camp at least 200 feet from lakes and streams. You'll hear that number a lot, 200 feet. You want to keep campsites small. Focus activity in areas where vegetation is absent. Walk single file in the middle of the trail, even when it's wet or muddy. Make sure you select a site where you are not easily seen by others. Even in popular areas, the sense of solitude can be enhanced by choosing an out-of-the-way site. Again, camping 200 feet away from water's edge is recommended because it allows access for wildlife to get their water. Be sure to obey any additional regulations related to campsite selection. Allow enough time and energy at the end of the day to select the appropriate site. You don't want to push yourself too far and then make poor decisions regarding leave-no-trace principles. Your fatigue, bad weather, or late departure times are not acceptable excuses for choosing poor or fragile campsites. Generally, it is best to camp on sites that are so highly impacted that further careful use will not cause any noticeable impact. In popular areas, these sites are obvious because they have already lost their vegetation cover, they're pretty bare, but it's really important to make sure that we follow those procedures. Also, it's often possible to find a site which naturally lacks vegetation, such as exposed bedrock or sandy areas. Taking advantage of those is essential as well to ensure that you are practicing these principles to your fullest potential. If you're going to be camping in a pristine area, you want to make sure to disperse your use to prevent the creation of campsites and trails. You want to avoid places where impacts are just beginning. Pristine areas are usually the remote areas that see few visitors and show no obvious impacts. These are very special places and should only be used if you are committed to and highly skilled in leave no trace techniques. In pristine places, it is best to spread out tents, avoid repetitive traffic routes, and move camp every night. You want to make sure that you're walking around in different paths very lightly and very purposefully. Moving camp every night sounds redundant, but at least you're not staying in one spot, causing that further trampling of the area. The objective is to minimize the number of times any part of the site is trampled. In setting up camp, disperse tents or your hammocks and the kitchen on durable sites. Wear soft shoes when possible. The durable surfaces of large rock slabs make good kitchen sites. Watch where you walk to avoid unnecessarily crushing vegetation. When you are leaving camp, take an opportunity to naturalize the site by covering areas that were affected by your presence with native materials, such as pine needles or leaves. Brush out any footprints, rake matted grassy areas with a stick to help the site recover and make it less obvious that a campsite ever existed. This is an extra effort that will hide any indication that you ever camped there and make it less likely that other backcountry travelers will camp in the same spot. Again, we're talking about pristine locations that have not seen very many people over time. The less often a pristine campsite is used, the better chance it has of remaining pristine. 
Number three, dispose of wastewater properly. This principle applies to everything from litter to human waste to rinse water. Proper disposal of human waste is important to avoid pollution of water sources and really avoids the opportunity for someone else to find it. It also minimizes the possibility of spreading diseases and maximizes the rate of decomposition. In most locations, burying human waste is the correct manner and is the most effective method. Solid human waste must be packed out in some places. It's important that you check the regulations for a location that you're planning to visit. A lot of times these are some of the national parks that you've got to get a permit for, and they'll make it very clear that that's the case about your human waste. If you are allowed to do your number two, digging a cat hole is the most effective way. It's the most widely accepted method of waste disposal. Locate cat holes at least, again, 200 feet from water, trails, and camp. You want to make sure you select an inconspicuous site where other people will be unlikely to walk or camp. With a small garden trowel, dig a 6-inch hole, 6 inches wide, 6 inches deep. That cat hole should be covered after doing your business and disguised with natural material. If camping in an area for more than one night, or if camping with a large group, cat hole sites should be widely dispersed. You don't want a surprise bomb when you go ahead and dig up your new cat hole. If at all possible, locate your cat hole where it will receive maximum sunlight. The reason for this is that the heat from the sun will aid in decomposition. The sun can eventually also kill pathogens in the feces that are buried properly. South-facing slopes and ridgetops will have more exposure to the sun and heat than other areas. You want to avoid areas where water visibly flows, such as sandy washes, even if they are dry at the moment. If you're like most people, you're going to be using toilet paper, and it should be used sparingly and only plain, white, non-perfumed brands. Toilet paper must be disposed of properly. It should either be thoroughly buried in the cat hole or placed in a plastic bag and packed out. Natural toilet paper has been used by many campers for years, and when done correctly, this method is as sanitary as regular toilet paper, but without the impact problems. Popular types of natural toilet paper include stones, vegetation, and snow. So if you're really creative or maybe you forgot, these are some other things that you can do. Obviously, some experimentation is necessary to make this practice work for you, but it's worth a try, and it's fun to say you did it. Overall, pack it in, pack it out is your friend. It's the familiar mantra to seasoned wildland visitors. Any user of recreational lands has a responsibility to clean up before he or she leaves. Inspect your campsite and rest areas for trash or spilled foods. Pack out all trash and garbage, even if it's not yours. Carry trash bags to carry out all your trash and maybe someone else's that left it behind. It's unfortunate that we have to do that to pick up after other people, but it is essential and important that we do that to make sure that we keep these lands for our uses. The fourth principle in Leave No Trace is leave what you find. The old adage that I'm sure you've heard, take only pictures, leave only footprints. It still holds, although leaving fewer footprints is even better. You want to be sure that you leave areas as you found them, especially in the backcountry. Do not dig trenches for tents or construct lean-tos, tables, chairs, or other projects. For high-impacted sites, it is appropriate to clean up the site and dismantle inappropriate user-built facilities or facilities that you built yourself, such as multiple fire rings and constructed seats or tables. 
In many locations, properly located and legally constructed facilities, such as a single fire ring, should be left in place. Dismantling them will only cause additional impact because they will be rebuilt with new rocks and thus impact a new area. Learn to evaluate these situations that you find. No matter the case, we want to make sure that we avoid damaging live trees and plants. Hammering nails into trees for hanging things, hacking at them with hatchets and saws, or tying tent guy lines to trunks is a violation of leave-no-trace practices. Carving initials into trees is unacceptable, and obviously a violation of leave-no-trace practices too. Picking a few flowers does not seem like it would have any great impact, and if only a few flowers were picked, it wouldn't. But if enough visitors thought, I'll just take a few, a much more significant impact might result. Take a picture instead, or sketch the flower instead of picking it. Experienced campers may enjoy an occasional edible plant, but they are careful not to deplete the surviving vegetation or disturb plants that are rare or are slow to reproduce. If you find a cool, natural object of beauty or interest, such as antlers, petrified wood, or colored rocks that add to the mood of the backcountry, it should be left. It should be left so that others can experience a sense of discovery. They found the antlers too. Everyone should have that opportunity to see those. In national parks and many other protected places, it is illegal to remove natural artifacts. You can't take rocks. It's illegal to do that kind of stuff. The same ethics is applied to cultural artifacts found on public lands. Cultural artifacts such as pottery, arrowheads, structures, and even antique bottles found on public lands. Follow these simple rules when running into cool finds. Preserve the past. Check it out. Just don't touch it cultural or historical structures and artifacts. Just don't touch them. Leave rocks. Again, check it out. It's pretty cool. But leave the rocks, plants, and other natural objects as you find them. Avoid introducing or transporting non-native species. This mainly applies to those that are kayaking, biking, even your shoes. Try to rub those off and make sure that they don't transfer any type of microorganisms from one place to the other. Again, we want to make sure that we leave no trace Leave only footprints, take nothing but pictures. All right, our fifth principle of leave no trace is specifically oriented around campfires. So we want to make sure we minimize campfire impacts. Although campfires are a timeless camping ritual, they are also one of the most destructive ones. A far better choice would be a lightweight stove for cooking or a candle lantern for light. Stargazing is an excellent alternative to enjoy the evening, and is best enjoyed when your campsite is in total darkness anyway. Fires should only occur where they are permitted, using established fire rings. Fires should be small, using only sticks from the ground that can be broken by hand. Burn all wood and coals to ash. Put out campfires completely, then scatter the coal ashes. Don't bring firewood from home, which could introduce new pests and diseases. Buy it from a local source or gather it where responsibly where allowed. To be honest, that last one I did not know, bringing firewood from elsewhere being a violation of the principles of leave no trace. Every time I go car camping, I usually pick up some wood or bring pallets or something like that. I didn't realize that that would be something that would be a leave no trace thing. But when you think about it, it makes complete sense. Now you might be asking yourself, should I build a fire? The most important consideration when deciding to use a fire is the potential damage to the backcountry. What is the fire danger for the time of year and location you have selected? 
Are there any fire restrictions in your area that you're camping? Is there sufficient wood so that if you were to burn it, it would not be noticeable? Does the harshness of the alpine or desert growing conditions for trees and shrubs mean that regeneration of wood sources cannot keep pace with the demand for firewood? Do group members possess the skills to build a campfire that will leave no trace? These are all essential questions to ask before you even strike that match to start the fire. To remedy the concern, you want to make sure that you are camping in areas where wood is abundant if building a fire. Choose not to have a fire in areas where there is little wood at higher elevations or in desert areas. A true leave-no-trace fire shows no evidence of ever have been constructed. So be sure to think carefully the next time you have a fire in the backcountry. Are you following leave-no-trace principles? It's a tough question to ask sometimes. Lately, I've been hiking through the Tonto National Forest, which has closed down much of the area for use because of fire dangers. Before they shut down the access to the forest, they were on fire restrictions. This prevented us from having fires while we were camping if we were following the regulations that the Forest Service had set for us. We had to find other things to do, such as the stargazing suggestion I provided earlier. Man, the Milky Way is beautiful when you're in the middle of nowhere. We don't often get to see that being in Phoenix. Our sixth principle of Leave No Trace is respecting wildlife. We talked a lot about hiking etiquette, and this is pretty much similar. These are all kind of similar. But you don't want to approach animals. Both you and the wildlife will enjoy the encounters, them seeing you and you seeing them, more if you master the zoom lens on your camera and pack along a pair of binoculars. It's okay to observe wildlife from a distance. Just don't follow or approach them. Never, ever feed animals. Feeding wildlife damages their health, alters natural behaviors, and exposes them to predators and other dangers. Be sure to protect wildlife and your food by storing your food and trash securely, especially in bear country. Make sure you control your pets at all times or leave them at home. A dog in a bear fight is not a pleasant scene to see. Avoid wildlife during sensitive times, mating, nesting, raising young, or wintering. Those are vulnerable times in an animal's life, and affecting that could mean detrimental effects towards that wildlife species. Watching the wildlife is an okay way to learn about them. Do not disturb the wildlife or plants just for a, quote, better look. Observe wildlife from a distance so they are not frightened or forced to flee because of your presence. Quick movements, loud noises, those are stressful to animals. Travel quietly and do not pursue, feed, or force the animals to flee. Again, the exception is bear country where it's okay to make a little noise so you don't startle the bear. In hot and cold weather, disturbances can affect an animal's ability to withstand the rigorous environment. Do not touch, get close to, feed, or pick up wild animals. It is stressful to the animal, and it is possible that the animal may harbor rabies or other diseases. We've talked a lot about that 200 feet gap between water sources. This allows animals the free access to these water sources by giving them the buffer space they need to feel secure. Again, 200 feet or more from existing water sources. This minimizes the disturbance to wildlife and ensures that animals have access to that precious drinking water. By avoiding watering holes at night, you will be less likely to frighten animals because desert dwellers are usually most active after dark. Again, I'm coming from the approach of Arizona, the desert hiking down south. With limited water and arid lands, desert travelers must strive to reduce their impact on animals struggling for survival. 
Our seventh and final leave no trace principle is be considerate of other visitors. We talked about hiking etiquette already. This is essentially the same thing. The golden rule of treat others the way you would like to be treated is a rule that applies in the outdoors too. Respect other visitors and protect the quality of their experience. It also enhances your experience. Be courteous. Yield to others on the trail. We talked about that as well. Be sure to listen to the episode on hiking etiquette about this seventh principle. Enough of it was said there that if you haven't listened to that already, it'll be helpful to understand that concept too. As you continue your adventures in the wilderness, whether hiking or backpacking, be sure to incorporate these seven principles of leave no trace. It is essential to ensure that nature and public lands are continued to be available to you, others, your grandkids, and even future generations. Hopefully, you want others to share similar positive experiences that you have or will experience. We must also be thankful to those that came before us, that followed leave no trace practices to ensure that we today get to experience a solitude that may not be available to us if they didn't follow these practices. All right, moving on to our quote this week. This week, our quote comes from John Burroughs. He was an American naturalist and nature essayist active in the U.S. conservation movement in the early 1900s. The quote says, I go to nature to be soothed and healed and to have my senses put in order. I chose this quote this week because I have been thinking a lot lately about what nature provides to me. This is obviously not the first time I have given this thought, but it has come up more recently. This also applies to the principle of leave no trace in my opinion, because you might be hiking through nature to get soothed or as a way of meditating. If people that were on a trail or in an area before you, and they destroyed its beauty, you would most certainly not get the outcome you had hoped for when you began your adventure. This can be a disappointing feeling to be sure. Leading by example of the leave no trace principles will allow others to come after us to get the most positive experiences possible. For more information about leave no trace, please visit lnt.org. LNT is for Leave No Trace. This website has a bunch more information regarding Leave No Trace and was the main source of information for this podcast. So to summarize, plan ahead and prepare. Travel and camp on durable surfaces. Dispose of waste properly. Leave what you find. Minimize campfire impacts. Respect wildlife and be considerate of other visitors. This summary is our seven principles of Leave No Trace. Please be sure to like Copper State Adventures on Facebook and follow Copper State Adventures on Instagram. I also invite you to subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you get every episode every week on Thursdays. Thank you so much for listening. It does mean a lot to me. Happy trails. Happy trails.